Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. We have been head down serving clients this last year, and we are excited to be back with some new episodes for you. We have a special treat for you today, a powerhouse of a surgeon executive on the show, Dr. Lynette Scherer. She's the CEO of SAMG, Surgical Affiliates Management Group Incorporated, which has been experiencing remarkable growth over the last few years by offering a unique surgical value proposition to hospitals across the country. So I highly recommend checking out their work if you're interested in that. Sandy and Dr. Schur have collaborated on, on several impactful projects over the past year or so, and today they're digging into specifically uh, how a skeptical reception to her initial research turned into an avalanche of job applications. They're also getting into the ins, outs, and in-betweens of Dr. Schur's career journey, uh, transitioning from academia to private practice four years before her retirement. Really remarkable journey there. Also digging into how Dr. Schur puts hospitals' needs first, which is often easier said than done uh, by prioritizing listening over prescribing solutions and a heck of a lot more. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Well, welcome, Lynette. I have been so looking forward to this conversation in full transparency. I'm not even sure what I'm looking forward to, but I always enjoy these moments <laughs> with you. So thanks for being available. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think one of the reasons why I so enjoy connecting and visiting with you is you have such a unique history of your experiences, your expertise, and you also have this ability to dare to imagine what's possible. So I, I just want to offer that as my own experience of you and wondering if you might be willing to introduce yourself, maybe through the lens of a story of how the heck you got to where you are. <laughs> sure. Well, it's probably helpful for people to know that I'm a trauma surgeon by training and I spent the first 15 years of my career at a large university-based trauma center in Northern California, where I rose to the rank of professor. But probably a, a story of introduction goes way back to my very first year of being faculty. I was super excited about a study we had done that was really describing a new way for surgeons to practice emergency general surgery. And I was so proud of myself. You know, I got on, I was the first paper in the plenary session at our great big national meeting. And I got up and I presented something that I thought was pretty amazing. And the response from the audience was, oh, sweetheart, that's never going to work. And so I sort of thought, huh, interesting. I'm surprised they didn't see the value in this and kind of went on my merry way. And about 15 years later, reproduced a study very similar. And uh, this time, instead of the audience standing up and saying, you know, this will never work, they rushed me. They all wanted a job in my model. So I think the message there is that sometimes new ideas are not always embraced by the establishment. And it was pretty fun to be on both sides of that equation. Oh, my gosh. So that's a great intro to share just a bit about what you're up to these days, your current role and scope of what you do. Sure. So like I said, I spent the first 15 years of my practice at UC, at, at, a, at a large academic center. And about 10 years ago now, I made the jump to the private sector and became the CMO for SAMG, and then shortly thereafter became the CEO. And that's where we've grown from about nine programs nationally to about 84 programs. And what we do is we help hospitals build trauma and emergency general surgery programs 
we hire the surgeons and build the teams and the hospitals to have us uh, help them practice in their communities. So that was a, a big change from academics to the private sector. Okay, that is the perfect segue, because what I wanted to explore a little bit are some challenges that you've experienced. And you've already <laughs> up a couple ways, right? Because even just shifting from faculty into the private sector, to shift from clinician into a leader, to shift from into business and entrepreneurship. So we could take this lots of directions. I'm wondering, maybe just for some I don't know if it's education or entertainment, but I'm wondering if you might be able to just rattle off a couple of maybe challenges or situations you bumped up against that surprised you or drained you along the way. And then I could pick one or two of them to explore, but maybe just give us a short list of some of the challenges you've experienced along the way personally for you. Sure. I think probably the big one for me was leaving the academic environment. In academics, there really was no case that I felt like I couldn't tackle. So I actually covered vascular and liver transplants. And so really, there was no case that was considered that scary. And I remember the first night, who my husband is a surgeon as well, I remember the first night of going into private practice, I said, oh my goodness, I might have to do a lap coli which is a pretty straightforward operation to remove the gallbladder. And he just laughed at me and said, you're probably going to be okay. Turns out he was right. But practicing in a different setting, I think, was a big transition for me. And sure enough, after my first call night, it was all fine. But that was a big step. In terms of running a business, I think one of the things for me that was frustrating in a university setting was that it was really hard. It, it became very hard to actually make a difference in a perceptible way. Like I could see things that I thought needed to be done or managed differently. And it was just basically impossible to change the, the direction that things were going. And what I just absolutely loved about being in the private sector is I could take a look at things and say, oh my gosh, these are the three things that we need to fix tomorrow. And tomorrow would come and those three things would be fixed and we would be doing things in a new way that day. That was just incredibly powerful and invigorating and exciting. And it was a really fun way to grow the business for the first couple of years. The next challenge really came when we got too big for basically me and two other people to do everything. Once we had to start building out teams, it became much more challenging to keep things sort of in my vision and the way that I thought that they should move forward. And so that took a lot of growth on my part in terms of how I would help my leaders deliver this, this idea that was in my head. How would they know what that looked like and how, how we've been able to do that? So I think that was another big challenge. And then I think we have the everyday challenges of running a big business in an environment where everybody's worried about money and our employees and what COVID has done to the workplace. I mean, it's all of the, all of the other things that a business has to worry about on top of um, delivering superb high quality healthcare. That's so good. I, so for me being trained as a coach, I think very like meta big picture and then practical. And I'm, I'm, I'm noticing your ability to toggle between like, in academia, going for the long term and then switching to business, which is gives you capacity short term, like boom, boom, let's fix these three things. Or your ability to toggle between going slow or shifting into a mode of let's go fast, chop, chop, or 
or, or focusing outward. And then you said to grow the business, uh, there was a point you actually went inward. So your ability to toggle in and out fast and slow, long-term, short-term, I'm just appreciating the one in you that can toggle between different perspectives. Yes, I think maybe that was part of my desire to do something different is that there was no toggling left in my life. It was pretty much just maybe we call it a grind. Whereas I certainly work harder now than I ever worked in my life in academia, but somehow being able to do all those different things is more fulfilling for me. Yeah, I hear that. Awesome. Well, let's, what I'm wondering about is let's pick one of those to kind of hack into a little bit, meaning picking maybe one of those challenges. And I'd be really curious to hear you share a bit more about your own personal leadership journey meaning of one of those challenges, what's what was specifically irritating or most frustrating to you? Sure, I think this one is pretty straightforward for me. I remember early uh, early in Samji's, early in my time with Samji, we had some really impressive quality data from CMS. So they they published this quality work quality data for all of the people who take Medicare money, which is essentially everybody in the United States. And I was so pleased that we were at the 92nd percentile for quality, which like should knock your socks off that you can do that at nine different places. It's an average. So it means we were doing well everywhere. I was so excited to share this with these hospitals, um, you know, as we talked about helping them build a program. I was shocked to learn that, like, they didn't really care about that. <laughs> um, that I think that the hospital administrators have so many priorities that being hyper-focused on like delivering care at the 97th percentile was just not, was not something that would help them like want to buy one of our programs. And that was when I realized that when you're providing a program like this, it's about what their needs are, not about what, what I think is great about Sanji. And so that was a real shift in my mind, trying to listen and understand and learn what the hospital's needs were, and could we build a program to fulfill that? And oh, by the way, we'll deliver great quality too. And that was like a 180 degree switch for me. And um, I still I still struggle with that sometimes. It's that I need to slow down and say, oh, wait a second, your problem are X, Y, and Z. And, and we can solve that. The, the fact that we deliver great quality on top of it is just sort of the cherry on top. Yeah, gosh, this is such, this almost sounds like a little science fictiony, right? Like, 92% in other places, this is the best. And then to bump up against something where maybe the excitement wasn't mirrored back because of all the other priorities people had. What is exactly. Is and back, I think, oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say that I do think, I, I think that was exactly it. It was okay. That that's interesting, but how are you going to get us through our, you know, our ACS site survey? That's a trauma verification survey. Like, you know, we're, we have trouble with PI, our charts aren't completed, or they aren't reviewed in a way that's good for the college. So I hear you have quality, but how are you going to do these other things? And that was that came as a surprise to me. Yes. So as you as you think back to bumping up against that, what was the hardest part of that for you? Like have that initial excitement, and then pausing, understanding other people's needs, as you reflect on that, what was the hardest part of that for you? Well, I think the hardest part was actually recognizing 
that that was the message they were giving me back. I think for a year or two, I didn't realize that. I was super excited to lead with that every time we had a call. And in retrospect, I realized they were glazed over in the first five minutes because that was not their need or their concern or their desire. And when the light bulb finally clicked on for me, I went, oh, they can't even hear this right now because they're really worried about not having coverage tomorrow night. Like that's their concern. Mm. And so once I was able to back up and say, oh, wait a second here, quality is not their concern because that's not why their phone is ringing tonight. When I was able to take take a step back and understand what their problems were, things got infinitely better. Oh my gosh, that's so good. And what was the impact of that? Like, I'm assuming it's something good, but I'm just wondering, like, specifically, what was what was the impact when you decided or consciously backed up and listened to them differently? What was the impact when you showed up that way? Well, I think if it, I think that takes several forms. Probably the most important one is that I think the hospital realized, whoa, we can have a really good partner here, and that means for me we were able to bring in a team that could deliver care to the community. So that was probably the most important thing. So once we helped the hospital understand that we really could solve the problem, we would get a chance at the business. And then I think sort of on a macro level, what it meant for me was instead of starting two programs a year, we started 10. And Mm -hmm. so we have had astronomical growth as hospitals have learned that we, we solved their problems not just uh, what we want to do. We, we actually listen to them and understand what their problems are and build a program to solve that. I'm so struck by that because I'm thinking of how easy it could be to start out for any leader, especially a physician leader who's been trained in science, to get really attached to 92%. This is the answer. <laughs> and wanting to like go out with a flag. And yet what I'm hearing you say is by being curious being present, being deeply disciplined to co-sell problems, it actually caused a, a pause. But then if I hear you right, it exponentially launched you into your next chapter of growth. That's exactly right. It's counterintuitive. I'm sitting over here in my own body feeling clenched like, but wait, 92%, let's just go. And well, yet- so here's, here's the funny thing. So it turns yeah. out that that all comes out. And, and that is sort of seen as a fringe benefit, but it's not what helps people engage. Mm-hmm. Um, once they have a SAMG program, they get the 92%, you know, 92nd percentile for quality. They get all of that. They get the enhancements that we bring, but that's not what helps us establish ourselves at the site. It's what keeps people happy. Yeah, it's so good. All right, so this is a little risky, but I'm wondering if you were to like go back in time and give yourself some advice as a leader, as a physician executive, like if you could go back and give yourself some wisdom about moving forward, or another way of saying it, you know, what advice are you giving yourself now as you continue in this role? What comes to mind? I think the big one that comes to mind is it's not about me. And I think that for a lot of physicians, that is, that comes as a surprise sometimes, but the fact that it's about what the challenges are for the hospital is just key to this whole thing. And and it sounds obvious when I say it now, but that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. That means that I'm doing more listening than talking. 
that I'm trying to understand where their challenges are without making them feel like they've done a horrible job. I realize that we pose a solution to something that arguably they should or they think they should be able to solve on their own. And I have to help them understand that it turns out it's really hard to do it and you don't have to feel bad that you're not able to do it. Kudos to you for reaching out to an expert who can. I think that's a really that, that was a really different mindset for me um, because I would like to lead with the data and this is what we can do and we can do all these great things when if I'm not connected to to them to understand what their challenges are, all of that is just, it just sounds like blah, blah, blah to them. <laughs> blah, blah, blah to them. So good. I'm sensing there's this just this really big difference between like actually listening to understand the way you said it versus listening to fix the problem or diagnose their circumstances or defend their misperceptions or whatever the other unconscious things are that we do when we think we're listening. I'm really getting what you're saying to listen almost maybe beyond what they're saying to help them better understand how you can partner together and create a solution together. I think that's right. I think that sometimes you can describe your circumstance and it, and it still feels murky until somebody either labels it or organizes it for you in your, in your mind. And sometimes I reframe what I've heard and I go, yeah, that's, that's what our, that's what our challenge is. And I think that only comes from listening really hard. It's so good. Oh, so I have to ask, what is life like now for you as a CEO, as a leader, as a visionary, as someone who really executes, builds teams, delivers this kind of value? What is life like for you now, personally and professionally? Sure. Well, professionally, I get asked all the time, oh, Lynette, you know, do you miss repairing holes in the heart? Well, of course, because that is pretty fun. Um, but I feel like I am delivering healthcare through all the people that we have working in our programs. And so um, I feel like we're delivering healthcare now to a massive group of people. So, I mean, that feels good to me. In terms of what I do on a day to day basis, like I said, I'm busier now than I've ever been. This job requires availability 24-7, very much like my surgical career did. Um, I have to travel a fair amount. I do get to engage with a lot of different people all over the country, and I find that part pretty neat. I've seen parts of this country that I probably never would have seen had I stayed in my academic practice, and, and we're delivering care in those communities. In terms of personally, I think what I've learned is I needed a good assistant, so now I have Julianne, which has made just an incredible difference in my ability to manage time and get done all the things I need to do, and then also save some time for myself. So, you know, I'm an equestrian. I like to have some time to ride my horses, and building that in, I think, is critical to my success and happiness in, in both my professional and personal life. So good. Okay, I do have one other question that's bubbling up in my mind. And it's somehow for people listening that are maybe in academia or in a role where they're feeling kind of those golden handcuffs or trapped or just disconnected from their own inspiration or their own vision of what's possible. I'm wondering if you've got any tips or suggestions or strategies or I don't know, maybe like a, just a life hack about what, what supported you 
or what might support others just to take that next step when someone's feeling stuck? Yes. You know, I think you and I've talked about this before. I I don't like the word bored. Um, I don't like to say, you know, I was bored because I don't think that really sort of describes what I was feeling. But I do think it was this sense of maybe, maybe trapped isn't even right either. It's like where what you're doing isn't isn't having an effect anymore. Like if you find yourself in that circumstance, I think you need to look long and hard at finding something that will let you feel effective and will let you do the things you want to do. In my situation, I the the founder of this company appealed to me with science, you know, so he said, you know, you're so proud of taking care of your 8,000 patients a year. Why don't you do something real with your life and take care of 100,000? <laughs> and that was motivating to me. I was like, yeah, why, why don't I go take care of 100,000? And so that was important. And then my husband is, like I said, is also a surgeon. He was incredibly supportive. He thought I could do it even before I thought I could do it. Um, I feel like he really gave me a kick in the pants to, you know, just go try it. And his point was, if it doesn't work, you can always come back. It's not like you, you nothing is forever. And so if you don't like it, or it doesn't work out, you can always come back. And I'm glad I knew that because in my first month, when I walked in the door at Sanjee, half the revenue walked out. And so I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done here? You know, I'm, I'm four years from retirement at the university and now I'm just joined a company that, you know, is going to collapse. Well, it turns out it doesn't collapse and you just need to rebuild and get things organized and sorted out. But really having somebody support you as you make a big transition, I think is helpful. And then the other is, I think you need to be honest with yourself. If you're not good at something, you, you kind of have to recognize that. But if you are good at something, you should capitalize on that. And um, I don't think we're always so good at figuring that out. Mm. Those are great, great tips. So good. And for anyone listening, if, if for people interested, if, if you're just feeling stuck on like, what are my core values? One assessment we've used is called the VIA values, I think it's values inventory assessment. It's free. It's based in science. And it can just be a fun way, even for people and their families to take it and just kind of play with what are my core values and what would it be like to, to experiment with this one this weekend? And just, as you say, getting comfortable and honest with ourselves, even a little bit of a lighthearted and playful way can be fun. Awesome. Well, with that, um, Lynette, for people interested in learning more about you, your company, maybe as physicians interested in exploring a bit more about what you're all up to, what are some ways people can learn more about you? Sure. I think they can visit our website at www.samg.com. That's S-A-M-G-I.com. I'm not super good on social media, so um, I, don't, I don't have a good access there. But if you go to the website, I'm able to um, get emails and respond that way. I'm also at many of the surgical conferences you know, throughout the year uh, around the nation. So come up to our booth and I'm usually there. I'm happy to chat with people. I think one of the things that Samji does for surgeons is it allows us to be the, the idealistic surgeon you were you know, when you were a chief resident, meaning you actually simply get to take care of the patients, that's what you get to do. You don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to worry about the coding or the billing or the insurance or who's paying the clinic staff. 
you simply get to come to work and do a great job taking care of patients every day. And I think that our surgeons find that really rewarding. And I think for hospitals, it, it's hard for them to sometimes say, gosh, we have a problem with this. Let's reach out for help. Um, I think it's valuable for them to take a look in, on our website as well and see all the different things we can help them achieve by listening to what their challenges are. We're not a cookie cutter organization. We really do build customized programs for the problems that each of our um, each of our clients is facing. So good. Yeah, I can echo that. My experience with your team, your organization, even your yes culture, you're so uniquely poised to really deliver custom solutions to real people in real ways. It's been a pleasure to know you and your surgeons. So thank you. Excellent. Well, with that, it's been a pleasure for me to have this time to, to hang out with another person daring to really imagine what's possible, develop plans, execute, deliver, and really really shaped the future of healthcare. It's been a pleasure and thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. I appreciate all you've done for our team. And for me personally, it's been a really extraordinary journey. Awesome. Well, be well and enjoy riding your horse. (laughs) 